So I had been writing this song and, and writing songs for me is like this cheap therapy, right? You know, it's like a way to like process things that don't make a lot of sense and try to uh, make sense of them and, and handle stuff that's complicated and nuanced in a way that you can't in just a conversation or a text or it's like you need to put it into some kind of a medium where, you know, I think that's what art does so well. It's like you could read a dictionary definition of an eagle or you could like read a poem about one and which one would give you a better experience, right? of a fuller experience of what that thing is. So for me, writing a song helped me process it and sort of understand my own journey a little bit. Welcome to Curious Goldfish, a podcast community where music and curiosity come together through interesting conversations with the music makers of our world. I'm your host, Jason English. You can find Curious Goldfish and all the major podcasts and social media platforms. And of course, we have all of our content on our website, curiousgoldfish.com. I don't have a lot in common with Grace Pettis. She is a beautiful, young singer-songwriter who has bright red hair with a strong, clear singing voice. I'm old, I have a face for podcasting, and my male pattern baldness is unfortunately a thing. Also, I can't sing or play an instrument. But we do share one connection. We both were raised in the church, in the fairly conservative evangelical community, very much prevalent in the Midwest and in the American South. I'm going to come back to that. But for a minute or two, I'm going to try and make a couple of things connect here as I tee up the conversation I had with Grace back in January. As you may know by now, this podcast is inspired by the television series Ted Lasso. But what does that mean exactly? It can mean any number of things, but mainly it's all about mindset. It's about mindset around self-belief, teamwork, leadership, empathy, and yes, curiosity. But one of the more important aspects of the show that resonated with me is decency. How we as humans, whether at work or in personal relationships, treat one another and are there for one another, no matter your background, gender, or status in life. One of the most impactful examples of this, you know, this idea of decency came pretty late in the third and final season. So if you haven't watched the entire series yet, here's your spoiler alert. You might want to skip forward to my conversation with Grace, but I hope this scene gives everyone the right context before we jump into that interview. The scene is about Colin Hughes, one of the tier two characters and a player on AFC Richmond. We learn in season three that he is gay and he's put in a position to come out to his teammates following a crazy sequence involving a rowdy and rude fan yelling nasty things to the players before halftime. We don't actually hear how he does it, just the immediate reaction of his team, first by Danny Rojas and then by Coach Lasso. Here's that sequence. So we cool? Of course. Of course. It's cool. Yeah, 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 yes, amigo. A thousand percent. You're gay, big whoop. But we don't care, right, guys? 
Well, now, well hold, on, hold, hold, hold on, hold on, actually. Yeah, uh, Colin, we do care, you know? When I was growing up back in Kansas City, I had a buddy uh, named Stevie Jewell. So Ted goes into a story about how his friend was a fan of an American football team that Ted actually hated. And for two years, when that team played in the Super Bowl, no one watched the game with Stevie. I guess he was just left alone. And Ted continues. Because I wasn't there. Because I didn't care. But I should have cared. You know? I should have supported him. I should have been at his house both them years. Sharing that seven-layer dip with my friend. But the point is, Colin, we don't not care. We care very much. We care about who you are and what you must have been going through. Yeah. But hey, from now on, you don't have to go through it all by yourself. Yeah. All right? Yeah, hey, that, you got us, mate. We got you. What a moment. What a moment of leadership and empathy. I've watched the series many, many times, and I don't really recall Ted going into too much detail about his religious beliefs, about spirituality or anything like that. But in that moment, he was just being decent and making the point that it's just not good enough for us to just casually accept a situation and look the other way. But genuine interest and empathy is required when people we care about feel isolated. So back to my earlier point about Grace Pettis and what I have in common with her, our heritage in evangelicalism. Though Ted Lasso isn't overtly spiritual, you could make the case that in that moment, he was ultimately Christ-like, being there for his teammate in a very vulnerable situation. But the modern-day church doesn't have a great history when it comes to being as Christ-like as a fictional soccer coach on Apple TV+. For whatever reason, this issue of homosexuality has spiraled too many people into chaos of arguing about doctrine or scripture meetings or who's getting into heaven and hell, so much so that many have forgotten that we just need to be decent. So there was a musician, Rich Mullins, my favorite all-time artist in the uh, contemporary Christian music genre, who called this out explicitly. Rich unfortunately died in a car accident in 1997. I encourage you to look him up on YouTube. He was a Christian who spoke with clarity and conviction. And here he is in the mid-1990s, basically 30 years ago, talking about this very issue, to an audience who undoubtedly was uncomfortable hearing Rich describe his challenge of writing a song about his best friend for fear that his audience would reject it. He was scared that they would think it was too much about homosexuality when all he wanted to do was share about how much he loved his friend. Apologies for the audio, but here is Rich. I go and when I get there, I, I get real uncomfortable because it doesn't really feel like home either. It just... I wrote a line for Beaker one time. Because you know how hard it is for guys to tell each other that they love each other? That we're just, we're so homophobic that we can't even be honest. And uh, so I really wanted to tell Beaker I loved him. So I wrote, I wrote this really stupid song for him that I thought was kind of funny. And uh, 
I included a woman's name because because my audience is so homophobic that I, if I wrote a song for a guy, they would stop buying my records. Let's face it, I got to make a living. <laughs> That clip is amazing for so many reasons, from the awkward laughter of an audience that was basically undressed without even knowing it, to the fact that one of Christian music's most prolific songwriters had to change the name of a song for fear of backlash. I am a thousand percent sure that if Rich was alive today, the song would be called What Beaker Said instead of What Susan Said. You should look that song up too. That's the environment Grace and I were raised in. It's not all regrettable. We both hold things very dear from the faith and from that community. But in her song, Landon, about a childhood friend who eventually comes out, Grace calls herself out and reminds us all that we can do better and we can be better. We can be more decent. And there are likely people out there who deserve our apology. If a soccer coach who doesn't claim any allegiance to any specific faith can treat people with dignity and respect, Maybe those of us who proudly claim a God of love can as well. The conversation with Grace Pettis begs this question, and she closes us out with a performance of Landon. It's an amazing song. Look her up on Spotify, look the song up on YouTube, and listen to her performance today. Grace Pettis, let's dive in. Grace, so nice to meet you. Thanks, nice Thank, to meet you too. Thanks for your time. Of course, yeah. We're here watching the sunset. In yeah. Florida. This view does not suck. Does not suck. Yeah. I mean, Nashville's cool. Ah, uh, is it? But it's, <laughs> <laughs> but it's not this. I don't know. It's not the beach. It's not the beach. So. All right. So you're here at the 38 Songwriters Festival. Have is this? Are you a veteran here? Have you been here before? Or is this your my first, first time here? Was last year and strictly in a girlfriend capacity with oh, wow. Robbie Hecht. So All this right. is my first year as an artist. I basically just emailed Russell and was like, Robbie's coming anyway. I'm coming with him. You might as well let me play. That's smart. I love that. <laughs> I'm going to be staying in the room anyway. Like this will right. be the cheapest situation for you of all time. Yeah. How's, how's it been for you this year as a performer? It's been fantastic. It's just like a summer camp family reunion sort of vibe. Cause these are a ton of people that I know and have been friends with for over a decade that are just, you run into each other once a year in whatever their home state is and you play a gig or whatever tour you happen to align on. And then, you know, you don't see them for a year. And so you, anytime there's a conference or a festival right. or something like this, where we all get to be in one space together, yeah. it's just such a party. It's such a good time. Did you see any performances? Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, we've been what watching stuck a lot out of stuff. What stuck out to you? Well, I got to see Roseanne Cash and John Leventhal and that was, that was the highlight. Yeah. I think obviously, I mean, it was from very far away. So it was a very small Roseanne yeah. Cash on a stage with a very big crowd of people. But, yeah. uh, but that was a highlight for me for sure. Yeah. So I saw them, that was, it was like March 10th of 2020 mm -hmm. in Boulder mm -hmm. at the Boulder theater. And uh, I'm almost 50. I was the youngest person in the, in the audience, but it was right at the start of COVID. It was the last mm -hmm. show I saw for, you know, a year and a half. But I remember thinking, okay, that's like, this is it, you know? Mm -hmm. And she was amazing. And John Leventhal is a legend, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, uh, so that, yeah, that's awesome. Um, so I want to get to some of your music and, and what you have planned for this year. When did Working Woman come out? Uh, the record came out in 2021. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there's a song on there. Mm -hmm. There's a few songs on there, but there's a song <laughs> on there that uh, just spoke to me for a number of reasons. It's called Landon. Can you give us the headlines about the genesis of that? And then I wanna, I'm going to read some lyrics because I think it's the lyrics are worthy of 
an out loud reading because okay. I think the audience needs to know the depth of what you're doing. But where'd that come from? Okay, yeah, sure. It's uh, autobiographical. It's a song I wrote for a dear friend of mine who was my best friend in high school, Landon Beatty. And he came out, he's gay, he came out right after high school. We went to school in a very small town in rural Alabama. So sort of a homogenous, very conservative, very religious community where it's kind of hard to find your tribe if you're different in any way at all. So as a gay kid, that's, that's a tough environment to come up in. He waited until right after he left to kind of make the rounds of the phone calls and, and come out to a few close people. And from his like recollection of those phone calls and how they went, my response was one of the nicer ones, which tells you a lot because my response was basically like a canned, you know, evangelical script that was like, love the sinner, hate the sin. And you can be gay, but you're not allowed to like date anyone and you should pray to be not gay anymore. And, you know, that sort of thing that I had been taught to say, um, well, there's these Bible verses, so I guess you can't be gay. And like, you know, like even as I was responding in that way to this really vulnerable, courageous moment for him I didn't respond with vulnerability and I didn't respond with courage or with love like I responded with just this sort of prepackaged answer that was not personal for me in any way and I hadn't had to do any work or any wrestling with it I had never prayed about it you know and uh, as it came out of my mouth even I think there was a piece of me that just felt like something's off you know like your conscience just sort of prickles you And just something tugging at your sleeve a little bit, like, maybe you should take another look at this. And so I spent the next four years in college just, like, I myself, for for context, am, like, the straightest straight girl of all time. Like, never even, I mean, I know there's a spectrum, but I'm, like, very far on one end of it, Um, unfortunately, because women are awesome. But, but yeah, I just, uh, I spent a lot of time in college. Like, I joined the gay club, the queer club, you know, GBL, TSA, it was at the time. And I was like the only straight Christian girl in it. And I didn't know what I thought about it at the time. I joined it to get more information and to like put a face to some things that I didn't have a face on, you know, or hadn't before Landon. I took a class on gay and lesbian literature. I also took a lot of classes in in early Christianity and I minored in religious studies. And so I read a lot of texts and I um, did a lot of praying and spent a lot of time thinking and wrestling mm. with a lot of preconceptions, not just about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For also, you know. Right. And I came out of that with a stronger faith than I'd had going in. It sort of was less about belief in the head and mm. more about faith in the heart mm. and, and, you know, a deeper trust in God and, and also like completely a 180 on my theology in terms of queer people and right. how the church should treat them or how right. they should be allowed to live as moral people, you right. know? So I just did a total 180 on that. And then I realized that I owed my friend an apology so I had been writing this song and, and writing songs for me is like this cheap therapy, right? You know, it's like a way to like process things that don't make a lot of sense and try to uh, make sense of them and, and handle stuff that's complicated and nuanced in a way that you can't in just a conversation or a text or it's like you need to put it into some kind of a medium where, you know, I think that's what art does so well. It's mm. like you could read a dictionary definition of an eagle or you could like read a poem about one and which one would give you a better experience, right? of a fuller experience of like what that thing is. So for me, writing a song helped me process it and sort of understand my own journey a little bit. Then I sent that apology song that I had written to Landon. I had already apologized to him, but I felt like I just, there was a closeness that we had in in high school that, you know, everybody listening can relate. Everybody had that friend in high school that's like, 
closer than family. And you've probably never had a friend that close again. And it was that closeness that I really missed. And I wanted to connect with him and, and feel just like that we deeply understood each other again. So the song was like a catalyst for us uh, reconnecting and becoming close friends again. And he really loved it. He wanted me to play it out. I, I said, you know, listen, if, if you don't want me to ever play this, right. I won't. It's his name. I mean, right. His name is in the chorus. Right. So I would never have played it without his permission or encouragement. But he really wanted me to. So I started playing it, played it for a lot of years. And then when I signed my first record deal, it's the song that I'm the most proud of, mm. of all my songs. Yeah. It's because it's, you know, there's like which one is like technically the best craftsmanship or whatever. And I don't know, you right. know, someone else can probably tell me. But this is the one that I feel like has done the most good in the world where I've felt the most useful. So I'm re very proud of it. And it's sparked a lot of conversations around merch tables that yeah. I'm really proud of. And, yeah. um, well, if, so, you grow, if, you, well, if you grow up in the church, you know, they talk a lot about being a vessel. Mm hmm. Yeah, and, and you're you're now a vessel. There's that Saint Paul prayer, like make me a make me an instrument of yeah. your of your grace, is it, or make me an instrument of your love? Love, love. yeah, make yeah. Me an instrument of yeah. your love. Yeah, this feels like that. Like yes. when I'm up there playing this song, I feel that I am yeah. doing that yeah. in my life. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna read a couple of lyrics real quick, uh, just just because I think it, the the spoken word is powerful, as is a sung word. But from the day we met, I was never the same. You were the mascot at the football game. Big brown eyes in a wildcat suit, hugging your knees outside the classroom. Favorite child of a single mother. I loved you more than a boyfriend, more than a brother. Uh, and then it goes on and it says, uh, the way you drove yourself to church every Sunday, we swore we'd make it out of this town one day. And I called you a sinner. Ain't no sin bigger. And there ain't no damn thing wrong with you. As far as I can tell, no, there ain't no hell much worse than the one I put you through. That's awesome. Right. Thank and because I grew up in the buckle of the Bible belt in mm, Missouri mm. and there's a lot of things that I still hold dear about community hymns, mm, uh, yeah. scripture, the fact that we're, you know, we're not alone and that there's a creator and God sent his son for our sins, all, all those mm -hmm. things. By but the I, way, me too. Yeah. And, I, yeah. I, haven't, I haven't let any of that stuff go. Yeah. Um, there's so much tribalism that tells me that I'm supposed to now. Cause yeah, I guess exactly. I'm on the other no, exactly. side it's or like something. It's like you're supposed to disregard like, that for this. But I haven't like, and yeah, I don't yeah. intend to. That's great to hear, right? Um, but I think on this topic in particular, I think the church got it all wrong. Yeah. You know? Yeah. They got it all wrong. I mean, well, we got a lot of stuff wrong. Yeah. They got it, they got it <laughs> wrong because it's like um, at the end of the day, these people just want to love and be loved. Yeah. The, and just think about all the broken souls and broken hearts and the disregard and the in the ignoring and the less than mm -hmm. that they felt yeah by christians who are, who are supposed to be followers of christ right by right? christians specifically and also by the culture at large i mean yeah. like the you know it was classified as a mental disorder to be gay until like the 70s or yeah. something so i mean yeah but but yes you're right like you know for a religion that you know ostensibly the tenant the main tenant is like love your neighbor right. right we are not very courageous about the way that yeah. we love people who aren't like us right congratulations to you oh thank you congratulations to landon thanks yeah he's doing great by yeah. the way he's in la he did the choreography oh and acted and danced in the music video oh so if gosh. you want to see yeah. what he looks like now well everybody should check as that a grown-up yeah no yeah yeah no it, it's great and it, we were talking about this earlier you know it reminds me of the song tony by patty griffin and i love patty griffin but yeah I'm a huge patty griffin yeah fan. i mean huge a lot of you know a lot of similarities with you i've gotten that a lot yeah. and, and i didn't ever think about i definitely didn't think about it when i was writing the song 
But afterwards, I've gotten that comment from a lot of people, and people have sort of drawn a connection and said, like, oh, no, did he die? You know, did he right. kill himself? And said, no, 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 no. Um, but there's there's a line about the phone call that people always think is like a phone call, you know, saying that someone's passed away. And it wasn't that. It was a phone call. It was the phone call from Landon of him coming out is, is the call that I'm referring to. Okay. But, like, yeah, I can see why people might like, <laughs> think that. Um, but, yeah, no, it has a happy ending. We're friends again. And um, that's Love. why I think it's so important to, like, apologize to people when we screw up because life is so short and like he's such a cool person and I'm right. I'm so much better off having him in my life you know and I feel like there's so many apologies that are owed to the queer community going back like the past few decades I mean, that are you know long yeah. overdue but yeah, yeah. but even I mean I mean among people that are living today yeah. that maybe don't feel the way that they did in the 80s right. you know but have never taken the time to yeah. track those people down and try to make amends and I think it's so important because it leaves such deep psychological hurt and damage to be rejected when you have the courage to be like this is who I am and you show this really core part of yourself not the only part of yourself but something really central to who you are and then it's met with just like rejection that's so psychologically damaging so yeah. I think it's really important for us to do the work of where have I wronged people and, and going back and trying to make it right as, as much as you can. You know, you can't and make it's never, it right. And it's, you're never but, too late. But it's never too late yeah, to try. Yeah, never too late. Yeah. yeah. No matter if you're 20 years old, 30 years old, 70 years old. Yeah. That some of the coolest things that have happened because of this song is I've had people that have been like, I've got a friend from high school. I'm going to look them up on Facebook. I'm going to send them an apology. Like I'm going to, and it's just to know that there's love going out in the world. That's no, great. It's just, it, I mean, it makes, about, it gets me goosebumps just to think yeah, about think it. Yeah, think about that yeah. impact. Yeah. And like, the vessel, um, you know? Yeah, I feel really privileged, I guess is the word. Yeah. To, I just feel like this, Landon and I have talked about this too. We just feel like our story has helped make other people's stories better. And it, it's a really good feeling to right. feel useful. And that feels so redemptive. It feels so cathartic. Well, another sort of topic that you're, I think, passionate about, hence the working woman title, right, is women empowerment, feminism, yeah. Yeah. All, all those things. And I think, you know, the genesis of this podcast is inspiration behind the, the show Ted Lasso and the character and stuff. But one thing when I was preparing for this conversation is when you think about that show, yes, it's Ted Lasso, but actually the most dynamic characters on that show were Rebecca, the mm -hmm. owner and mm -hmm. Keely, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. I thought, I thought they were e extraordinary examples of There's great female characters yeah. on that show for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Great acting. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, just the fact that like Rebecca, inherited the or not inherited the club but got it through a divorce and mm -hmm. she she had her own agenda but she was able to use how strong she was as a person and as a leader mm -hmm. but could also tap into the feminism mm -hmm. to really which isn't a bad thing mm -hmm. right like the the delicate feminism to be a strong person doesn't have to be you need to be an asshole all, all uh, the time that right? you can be soft and empathetic yeah. and community-minded and that that isn't a weakness yes exactly yeah and she was able to kind of use both to better herself and sort of recognize, okay, sh she's sabotaging Ted. That's not great. Right. But then it, she recognizes what the impact she has and, and, and I don't know, the, how that all sort of transformed. I thought it was a great example. Yeah, it's cool. It's, it's interesting that we've decided that these characteristics of being assertive is like male yeah, exactly. and being nurturing is female. And, and I just think it's, 
it's it does such a discredit to so many like nurturing men that I know so many single dads and it does such a disservice to like so many strong assertive powerful women who it's that thing like if you're a girl a little girl in school and you raise your hand too much or you talk too much which I did and I'm currently <laughs> doing um you know you get this bossy label or this know-it-all yeah. so we get those messages so early and if you're a boy and you you know care about animals or, or yeah, smaller children or, or you yeah. cry easily then you're then there's something wrong with you right Human beings are so complex and interesting and, and it's what a shame that we put ourselves into these boxes in that way and right. don't just let ourselves be who we are. You've talked a lot about the music industry being obviously male dominated and stuff. And I think like on your website, you talk about here in the U.S. women make up something like 22 percent of chart topping artists, 2 percent of the producers credited are on those charts and just about 12 percent of the songwriters, less than 1 percent of chart topping songs are written without men less than one percent less than one percent yeah yeah which is crazy like tracy chapman and fast car that was yeah. just cut and was this big country hit yeah. recently Luke Holmes. yeah exactly right which is so cool yeah um years after the fact but she is i believe the first woman of color to have a hit country song yeah. like as the writer and i think as this as the singer too it's just yeah yeah it, it is it's really interesting because we sort of just we just treat it like we're just fish in water we don't even see it you mm. know and for every other industry, think about doctors. Mm. There didn't used to be women in lab coats either, yeah, but yeah. there are now. And nobody would say, oh, I don't want this brain surgeon because she's a woman if she's the best brain surgeon. You know what I mean? Right. So it, the fact that we're less than 2% of producers is just, yeah. it's criminal. I know many, so many amazing women producers were graduating at 50% from the music schools. So women, sound engineers... Um, mixing, mastering, like producers, all of those people behind the soundboard, we're graduating at the same rate as men, um, but we're not getting hired. We're not mm. getting the jobs, mm. and I think that that's that's a big problem. It's, the little, de- it's the little decisions each day. Yeah, it's yeah. the little decisions each day, and it's it's also just like, I don't think about it as like, oh, I'm team woman and not team man. No, I'm team human race. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're talking about the human race and women make up more than fifty percent of our population in America. And we're less than 1% of the songs are written by women. We are just not hearing this huge part of our own humanity. And art is supposed to reflect who we are as humans. If there's no songs about, I don't know, having a miscarriage or aging as a woman or what it's like when your kid leaves the nest. If we don't have any songs about this, then the female experience is just completely erased, is definitely erased for women of color. So I just think it's a, I think it's a mission statement to get behind in general to just try to help listen to the stories that that aren't being told that aren't allowed to be heard i think that that's a really important thing we can do as humans does the success of taylor swift give you hope at oh all? yeah absolutely right. and beyonce like right. huge and uh, you know the barbie movie there's a lot of right. pink the pink dollar they said this year was pretty strong yeah i think it's worth remembering that since forever fan bases have been a lot of teenage girls mm. you think about the beatles who's mm. in the crowd right right, right. so All we actually us, yeah. are the we are more powerful we don't necessarily need to be empowered we just need to remember that we have power yeah well to wrap up you talked about working woman are you working on a new album in 2024 what's your yeah, plan look like there? i've got a, a new record that is in the can produced by mary bragg who produced my last record mm. we're really proud of it it's a really different record than working woman working woman was this kind of anthemic girl power, you know, I wouldn't say girl power, but it was a rock record. Mm. It was a rock band, big, loud, anthemic record. Um, very sure of itself, I guess I would say. And this one is, is coming on the heels of a long separation and divorce and COVID and a lot of personal catastrophic loss. Mm. 
the kind that made one of my friends say after it sort of all went down like no offense but this is my worst case scenario what just happened to you so that kind of thing it's coming on the heels of that so i got real quiet for a while and i wrote a lot of songs that i sent to my therapist before i decided to record um and in some ways it's it's definitely a divorce record but i think it's a, a record specifically for um, I like to say there's there's the two meetings. So there's the first meeting is it's like the secret club and there's 12 steps and you work the program. And those of you listening who know what I'm talking about know what I'm talking about. And there's various substances that can qualify you to be a member. Um, but the meeting's pretty much the same no matter which one it is. And then there's the second meeting. And the second meeting is for all the people that love the people in the first meeting. And that one also has 12 steps. And mm-hmm. that one there's also different ones for different types of problems but it's all kind of the same shit right and if you've attended either one of those this record is for you but especially it's for the people in the second meeting because I think there's a lot of art out there that reflects the hero's journey of recovery which is really important Mm. and I'm glad that it exists and there should be more of it but again just talking about the stories that are told and the stories that aren't there's a lot of people on the sidelines of that journey of recovery. And a lot of people are hurt and damaged and thrown away along the way. And then there's kind of not a way to fix it, Mm. you know? And it's hard for those people to tell their stories because it's so taboo and it's so stigmatized to be the loved one of someone who has recovered or been in recovery. You have a lot of complex emotion. You have a lot of anger, there's a lot of sadness, there's a lot of, uh, and it needs to be okay for us to tell our story as well. It needs to be okay for us to, because the reason there is a meeting for us is so that we can look around the table and say, okay, I'm not alone and I'm not crazy. Right. You know? That sounds amazing. Looking forward to it. Thank you for the conversation. Can you you play a couple songs for us? Sure thing. All right, thanks Grace. Thanks so much. Uh, I'm Grace Pettis and this is a song called Landon. From the day we met, I was never the same You were the mascot at the football game Big brown eyes in a wildcat suit Hugging your knees outside the classroom Favorite child of a single mother Loved you more than a boyfriend, more than a brother The way you drove yourself to church every Sunday We swore we'd make it out of this town one day And I called you a sinner Ain't no sinner and there ain't one damn thing Landon 
Well, you carried your cards close to your vest And you buried your heart inside your chest And you hid it from the ones that loved you best Cause you knew none of us could pass that test And then I called you a sinner Ain't no sin bigger and there ain't one damn thing wrong with you As far as I can tell No, there ain't no hell much worse than the one we put you through What were we so afraid of laying Was afraid I never knew you at all. So I called you a sinner. Ain't no sin bigger, and there ain't one damn thing wrong with you. No, I can't make amends, but believe me, I'm still your friend. And I owe you the truth I miss you so much Linda, Linda, Thanks so much for joining us for another episode of Curious Goldfish. Please follow and subscribe to the podcast and on social media. Also, tell your music-loving friends about us too. Until next time, stay curious.